Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hello and welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on a deep dive into the happenings of the hospitality industry. Now, sometimes there's a focus on culture and sometimes there's a focus on travel trends and sometimes there's a focus on passion projects, but it all comes back to the industry. Now, before we dive into this week's show, there is so much happening in and around the DC metro area right now. Festivals are back, new restaurants are opening, and plenty of patios and rooftops have been unveiled. Now, to keep up with all of that, uh, you need to go to the list, areyouonit.com, the online e-zine that keeps you up to date That's with everything that's happening in the food, wine, and hospitality scene. And you want to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for all my gallivanting around town and my future travels because summer is coming and I am going to some fabulous places and I cannot wait to take you on those journeys with me. Now, many of you tune into my other show, Foodie and the Beast, every Sunday, uh, where I talk with Deb Moser or Mitch Berliner, or sometimes both, uh, about what's going on in the market. They are creators and executors of some of the D.C. area's best farmer's markets, known as Central Farm Markets. Now, farmer's markets don't just miraculously happen. It literally takes a village to get it up and running. You have to identify the need, find the right location, get the right players, all the permitting, and then you have to curate the vendors. And finally, you get to ring that opening bell. I mean, it sounds exhausting and I'm just talking about it. Um, Well, Deb Moser and Mitch Berliner have done just that with their new market. It's called Half Street Market. It is at Nats Park and it did take a village to make it happen. So on today's show, I've got Michael Stevens. He's been on before. He's with the Capital Riverfront Bid. Mark Hannon, he is uh, an investment associate with J.R. Lynch Real Estate Partners. Uh, you know this guy's name because he's been around for a really long time with the Silver Donner, uh, Bob Gimo, and Deb and Mitch are both here to join me. But first, before we dig into what's fresh at this new market, uh, the Friends Experience is in town and Jamal Orr has the 411 on how you can hang with Joey and Monica and Rachel and the gang. Hey, Jamal, how are you? Hey, Nikki, I'm great. How are you? Okay, the Friends Experience, what is it? Yeah, so the Friends Experience, uh, the one in Washington, D.C., is an opportunity for fans of the show uh, to come in, and it it really feels like you're inside of an episode. Uh, What we've done is we've taken uh, set recreations. Um, We've also taken props from the show, as well as mixed it with really just interesting information about the show, and it allows fans to just be fully immersed in the space. So what are these situations look like? Am I sitting in Central Park? Am I sitting in the apartment? I mean, what what are the uh, activations there that I get to participate in? Yes, I'm not going to give it all away, well, but you named, away, Jamal, you, you, named you, you named two things that you can actually do. So yes, you can sit inside of Central Park. You can go to Joey and Chandler's apartment and sit in the recliners. You can go to Monica's apartment. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very Instagrammable. It's a, it's a great opportunity to just hang out with your real friends and family and just check out the show from actually like being inside of it, which is really cool. 
So where is this happening and how do people like sort of partake in it? Like, do I get tickets and go with a group of people? Is there a guide for it? What kind of information is there? Like, do you give like bloopers or are there stories <laughs> you don't know about fun stuff like that? Yeah, so in regard to where to go to get tickets, you can go to frenzyexperience.com backslash DC to get your tickets. And the experience is located at the, the Woody's building, which is a 1025 F Street Northwest, a beautiful building. Um, and we also have an Instagram account. You can go to uh, Friends the Experience on Instagram to find out more. Uh, in regards to just information, I mean, when you when you enter the space, um, there's tons of production notes and information that's like behind the scenes that you may not have heard unless you're like, you know, a true insider. So for example, we have an excellent setup that's all about the fashion in friends and it goes into stories about the inspirations behind like Monica's clothing and and you know why Joey wore that black jacket in the first episode so we go into real details about the production of the show which I find most fascinating myself yeah I bet well because they were a real uh they were such an influence on that generation and how they dressed and wore our hair the Rachel mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff so I would think that information is really fun but with Friends now, well, I don't think they're on Netflix anymore, but with the reruns of Friends, mm -hmm. younger generations now know all of them and know all the episodes and want to be a part of it in some way. Yeah, exactly. So to, we actually have an entire section dedicated to the Rachel and Rachel's uh, different hairdos over time. Uh -huh. And in, in regard to Friends itself, you can actually check it out. All 236 episodes are available on HBO Max. And, and the beauty and what we're finding is that what the experience is allowing is allowing for opportunities for parents as well as kids who may have seen it, you know, on, on HBO Max and the parents who may have seen it airing live. They're now going together. So it's an opportunity for you to do something, you know, to kind of bridge the gap between generations and have a shared experience for their family. So that Woody's building is massive. How much of that did you take over? Uh, we're taking over uh, two floors of it. It is a giant gilded aged building with some interesting uh, ornaments on the, on the exterior. So from a marketing perspective, it was really interesting to like tackle the exterior windows and try to like solve for like line of sight, uh, dealing with uh, so many details of, of such a historic building. I bet, I bet. Okay, how long is the Friends experience in town? Yes, so we are actually going to be here until Sunday, June 5th. So we've been here since March. Uh, we're in our, our last run. So I really want to encourage everybody go out, check it out. Go to uh, frenzyexperience.com backslash DC and make sure you get your tickets. Excellent. Hey, Jamal, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Nikki. Great. Okay, so as I said earlier in the show, farmers markets don't just open on a whim. It's not like, hey, let's put on a show. It mm -hmm. takes a group of dedicated individuals to come together and ask, what does the community need and how can we best serve it? So with that, I'm going to bring in Michael Stevens, president of the Capital Riverfront Bid. Hey, Michael, how are you? Good, Nikki. How are you doing? I'm good. It's so good to have you with me today. So nice to be back with you. We've talked about bids before. We talk about what they do, but let's just give everybody a little 411 on what the bid does and how it serves the Capital Riverfront and what what consists of the Capital Riverfront. Sure, sure. We're about a 490-acre neighborhood south of the U.S. Capitol between uh, the Southeast Southwest Freeway and the Anacostia River bounded on the west by South Capitol Street. We do pick up the area in Southwest called Buzzard Point and Audi Field and everything there. 
but uh, we are a new growth area, much like Noma or Mount Vernon Triangle. And we'll have around 37.5 million square feet of development build out. And we're 71% of the way there. So we have a large residential population, office population, huge visitation with Nats Nationals Park and Audi Field. And what our organization does, we're a management entity that's funded by a, a special tax our property owners vote upon themselves. And we provide a, a range of services from clean team to economic development, business attraction, to transportation planning, um, to community events, advocacy, um, and, and numerous other things that I won't go into, uh, data tracking on the neighborhoods so people wanting to invest here understand the market and its potential. Uh, so one of the things about community events is we like to uh, bring our residents out of the, the mid-rise towers. We have 17,500 people living here, and we manage and maintain uh, two parks here, Yards Park and Canal Park. And now we're ma managing Half Street, which is a new special urban streetscape uh, right leading up to the center field gate of Nationals Park. And that's a new celebratory zone for us. So mm -hmm. part of our mission is to create a sense of community. Uh, the bid's been down here for 16 years. So first off, it was to really, you, you know, cr uh, bring people to the neighborhood and make them aware of what was happening here. So populate the neighborhood or, or build which the neighborhood. Came, which came first, Michael? Which came first, the stadium the, or the bid? The bid was here in 2007. The stadium okay. opened in 2008. Okay. I saw the tea leaves of the stadium was coming and thought they were going to need a, a, an organization that helped facilitate and manage growth before a stadium hit them. And, and sure enough, the stadium leverage a lot. So one of the things I'm sort of curious about, so like when uh, they were doing the union market area, mm -hmm. I saw the plan, the 10 year plan that mm -hmm. they planned on taking that 11 acres and how they planned on growing it and what was gonna go where. When they did Nat Stadium and you started the bid before that, um, was there a, a plan was it like this is what it's going to look like? Did you did you not just look into those tea leaves, but grab that crystal ball and sort of execute that in the same capacity? That's a great question, and I have to give a lot of credit to Mayor Anthony Williams and then his director of planning, Andy Altman, and his chief planner, Uva Brandes, who created the Anacostia Waterfront Initiative Framework Plan and mm -hmm. said this river can be a centerpiece to the city. We can grow new communities along the river, like Capital Riverfront, but we can also clean up and engage and embrace the river as a a centerpiece like Central Park or Rock Creek Park on this side of the city. So that led to a number of planning initiatives, one of which the zoning was changed down here, but the, the framework plan set a vision for the neighborhood as a high density, mixed use, transit oriented development. And then I think they had in their mind's eye that a stadium would come here and that would leverage redevelopment as well. So it was always seen as an area for high density investment and a way to grow the city's population with a strong residential base, but to bring other services like grocery stores and retail um, and, and other restaurants and, and beverage uh, providers to the neighborhood. Uh, and it's worked very well. So that vision of Mayor Williams, great public planning, great public investment to the tune of $2.3 billion, and then private response with over $12 billion in private response has resulted in the neighborhoods you see now of Capital Riverfront that's at 27 million square feet um, and over 71% built out. So, you know, building that community, then populating it and now sustaining it through creating community through events and programming and activations. And a farmer's market was the logical next step for our neighborhood. And I want to applaud, you know, Bob Jamo, who had a, a vision to do this. And he reached out to Deborah and Mitch to bring central farm markets here because I think the neighborhood was ready for it in a very big way. 
as was Half Street, as a to showcase it as a new celebratory street, not just as an entry point to the baseball stadium, but as a place we could have a farmer's market and have other activations to celebrate other holidays. So that's a big part of what we do now is quality of the public realm, providing great community programming, activations, and events. And the market you know, brings fresh food to a neighborhood. While it has two grocery stores, it's always great to have a third option. And I think farmers markets create a sense of community, much like Agora's in ancient Rome and ancient Greece did. It gives you an opportunity to come and have a little commerce, hear a little entertainment, buy some basic goods, and talk to your neighbors and the vendors. And it's a wonderful way to gather and celebrate the harvest, so to speak. Well, I, that's a perfect segue, uh, Michael, for me to bring in Mark. Hey, Mark, how are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Mark Hannon. So, Mark, you're with Jair uh, Lynch Real Estate Partners. I mean, how does real estate work with like a bid, work with Michael Stevens? Like before we get into the farmer's market, like how do you guys work within communities? Because I think most people just think, oh, real estate. I mean, they just sell real estate. Yeah, we're just going to throw up buildings. That's just well, what you do. It's in your title. Right. Yeah, well, obviously we have, you know, we have an obligation, you know, Jire Lynch Real Estate Partners has been around for 24 plus years. Um, and, you know, we've, we've really tried to combine our social responsibility with economic development and pursuit of creating real sustainable, uh, extraordinary neighborhoods. And to do so, we have to partner with, you know, folks like Michael and his team over at the bid, who, again, the farmer's market could not have gotten up and running without their support. And then there's a million other people to thank along the way, which we'll get to. Um, but really, it's our obligation as a property owner uh, to develop these connected neighborhoods. Um, and whether that's buildings that we're developing as mixed use multifamily or, you know, mixed use with retail, commercial, whatever it might be, there's a responsibility there. So it was really important that we did something with the with the surrounding footprint that we had around our, our building. But how did you guys, when did you guys start in that area? Because somebody had to start down there, aside from that stadium being built and then, you know, Michael sort of seeing what was coming down the road. How did you guys, how did your organization get involved? Yeah, as far as, as far as getting involved. You know what I mean? Like, what did you see down there? You're like, oh, we can do X. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, Half Street was a, you know, a hot ticket that everybody wanted to be on. And so we got lucky to get in there real, real early and then be able to take advantage of what we could build, um, which what uh, the city allowed us to on that on that plot of land. And of course, you know, with us, JBG Smith across the street and the other two owners that are on Half Street, we were able to capitalize on, you know, what was great about Half Street and then take it even a step further and decide, you know, wait a second, what can we do more with Half Street? And between us, the other uh, three owners on the street, and then obviously DC, there was a large investment in that street itself um, to maintain it, to make it something different than just another, another city street in DC, especially when you think about the amount of people that walk down that street every day for a Nationals game, or, you know, even, you know, just visiting the, the restaurants and the, and the bars and the other retailers that, that live on that street or around the, the two block radius. Well, I mean, the area and its environs now is so residential. There's, you know, new residential buildings opening up all the time, especially across M Street. I mean, there's just so much happening over there. So there's just people milling around. There's so many restaurants, there's so many other things happening. When, what is it that you guys have on Half Street? Is it residential? Yes, we have residential with mixed use, about a 60,000 square feet of retail on the first floor. Okay. And what was it about 
a farmer's market? I mean, is it just an amenity to you guys? And I don't mean that in a negative way, but like, mm -hmm. is it like, oh, see what we're doing kind of thing? Or do you, how do you feel about it and how it interacts with what you guys do as a company? Oh, sure. Well, when Bob Giamo gets in your ear, it's hard to get him out. So uh, he was, he was a big part of obviously kicking off what is the farmer's market and the great idea that we thought around it. Of course, we knew activation was needed and we knew we were going to work with Michael and his team at the bid. We just didn't know what that activation was going to be. Uh, are we bringing in music venues, you know, every, every quarter? Are we doing, you know, uh, are we doing pet uh, events? Uh, what, what kind of, what, what are we going to really plan to activate the street? And the farmer's market gave us an ability to activate the street in a consistent, um, reliable manner for not only the neighborhood, but also outside folks. You know what I mean? People seek out, Deborah and Mitch can tell you, people seek out farmer's markets. You know, not everybody who visit their Bethesda location actually lives in Bethesda. They probably come from, you know, miles around to visit it because they know they know the, the reliability of that market. So our idea was not make it, you know, once in a while, here's one thing happening, come visit us. It's come every Saturday. We will be here, rain or shine. Mm -hmm. As we opened two weeks ago in the pouring rain, hey, everybody kept it's saying, rain. <laughs> it's raining. Are you guys going to be open? And Deborah kept rolling her eyes in a very nice way and saying, rain or shine, rain or shine, rain or shine. So that's one thing I want to really drill home is rain or shine. The, uh, the, the, the vendors are out there, Mitch and Deborah are out there with their team, making sure that this goes off without a hitch. Well, and I am sort of curious only because you talked about activating the space and so did Michael. I mean, was activating space the way it's done today something that is new to both of you, Michael? I'm going to ask you about that, too, because there was a time that, you know, like I think about like the Penn Quarter bid and Joanne Newhouse. I mean, they didn't activate. She brought money in. She did great work, but it wasn't about activations that you need now. And Mark, same to you. I mean, when did real estate companies get into activations? Michael, you want to go first? Or you want me to go? Sure, sure. I, I think bids have been involved in you know place creation and place management and place making for over forty or fifty years. And I think we realized the 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 need for communal gathering space spaces, and they create value in, in a number of ways. They create value for the community that takes advantage of them. They create value for the real estate company that's building facing those spaces or immediately adjacent to it. And then I think they create value for the city, either as destinations that bring people from out the region um, or from across the United States. So it, it was a logical step to start. You don't not only maintain them at a very high level so that they're fully functional and beautiful, you want to program them so that you have activities going on uh, constantly. The project for public spaces says you ought to be having 10 different things happening in your park every day so that people are coming whether to read or get ice cream or take your children to play or play in the splash pad whatever or go hear a concert or see a busker so we realize the value of these parks in, in creating community and drawing residents uh, because they have really great water features for the kids they're a nice piece of open space and a high density environment that gives you open space relief and so they became natural amenities, but also real estate amenities and community-driven amenities that our developers could draft off of and build upon um, and make their program successful. Debbie Ratner Salzberg, who ran Forest City, Washington, said, I don't have to have as highly amenitized residential buildings because I have a park with water features and a river. I brought in a, a health club, Vita, and I have a grocery store, 50,000 square foot Harris Teeter. So we're building the amenities in the community. And I think developers are taking that attitude now 
rather than making their buildings always highly amenitized, they're trying to work with the community to see what do you need to either enhance an existing community amenity or develop a new one. And I think this market is a perfect example of that, of our developers in response to an idea Bob planted saying, this is a great idea to, to activate Half Street and the, you know, the investment that was made in the streetscape and to make it a very special place every Saturday. Like he said, uh, it's consistent, it's uh, useful, it's fun to go to, and it's communal. Mm -hmm. And Mark, how about for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to give COVID any credit because obviously, you know, we talked about tea leaves Perfect. before. It, it was it was in the tea leaves that that just residents' desires were changing. You know what I mean? No, no longer do people, you know, spend hours on top of hours just inside of their apartment homes and just within their building itself. They want to be out and about. They want to be outside. They want to be doing stuff. Uh, even if they want to do stuff alone, they want to do stuff alone with people. You know what I mean? Um, which I think is really important. And it's all about connecting with the neighborhood. No longer can we think as developers that our responsibility ends 10 feet outside of our building. Um, we need to go and extend further and make you know, connections with, usually we're on top of two other developers. We're on top of two other, two other property owners or three other. So we need to make connections with those other owners and those other property management teams to say, how can we work together? One, for economies of scale, we can spend less and do more. Uh, and two, how can we just connect together and, and bring our residents together uh, and not have this divide of, oh, that's yours and this is mine. Um, so I think it's just an obligation that we had to do. And we just listen to the residents, you know, what do you want? I have to be honest. I love hearing that because I think there is a misconception about, or maybe there was, maybe not today, about, uh, you know, real people in real estate not playing well in the sandbox with each other, mm. which is why, you know, I think now you see a real difference. If you look at the Capitol Riverfront and Buzzards Point and the wharf and you see this sort of, you know, path that is being created, it seems that everybody's working together to create something that's really beautiful and usable. Yep. Um, and I, I, I applaud that because aesthetically it's so engaging. Like I love it and I love showing it to people and being, you know, going down and being a part of it. Um, sure. So it's great to hear that people are working together in that capacity. Okay, Bob, Giamo, you're gonna join us? Yeah, I'm here. Hi there. So oh, yeah. um, I feel like he doesn't need much of an introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. Uh, Bob Giamo is behind the Silver Diner Development Group. They have, uh, I think, a lot of diners. I don't know how many and other concepts around the D.C. market. Uh, but this is, oh, here, I have it right here. This is the 21st location, and it is the first time that uh, you are opening up in DC in over 30 years. Tell me why. Well, the vision for this area being the most dense marketplace in Washington and the attractiveness of this becoming the super neighborhood uh, with the partners that brought us in. Uh, and the partners that brought us in were uh, the bid um, and um, the, Michael's wonderful leadership of the Capitol River waterfront. Uh, I don't. We, we camped out at his office with the model um, maybe a dozen times, so felt like we should pay rent because we were trying to get to understand how all this connected. And then Jair Lynch, uh, Jair Lynch the company, and Jair Lynch the individual. Um, uh, you know. Making a deal like this is not easy because it's very, very expensive for both sides. 
and Jair Lynch um, convinced us, uh, and, and and we and we're and we're glad that his vision wasn't just for this to be a street uh, with high rises and you know the the normal thing you'd see next to a stadium, which are of course you know uh, alcohol centric uh, places, but rather he wanted something that we had to offer, which was bringing in the whole, engaging the whole neighborhood. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and so we held everyone to that promise because we felt the community was essential. Okay, and so can we talk a little bit about the Silver Diner and its concept and how you'll be executing it down in its new location? Because not everybody lives near one. I mean, I feel like they almost do, but just in case, uh, tell us a little bit about the concept because as a Jersey girl, I said this to you earlier, um, I grew up going to diners and um, your diners are very different than the kind of diners I grew up going to. Yes, um, we've evolved diners um, uh, significantly as people evolve, as lifestyles change, we wanna reflect the changing lifestyle. So the diner of your, history was a diner that probably related to the population and lifestyles at the time. But if we froze that in time, um, and, you know, uh, and did, you know, bread that stuck to the top of your mouth and a thousand, um, you know, Greek items, we really wouldn't be true to the diner ethos it, of being... It's the French fries and gravy. French fries, cheese, and gravy at the well, 2 o'clock in the morning, especially. That, that's what I'm thinking about. Well, we still have that. Okay. You, can, <laughs> you can eat healthy or hearty, the choice is yours. Mm -hmm. So we have a full amount of French fries and gravy comfort food, uh, although it's enlightened comfort food. So if we have burgers, it'll be Creekstone burgers, all hormone free, all natural. If it's milkshakes, we'll have uh, your choice of, you know, Breyers ice cream or yogurt or plant-based shakes. So our whole deal is something for everyone, flexitarian. But people lead a healthy lifestyle. Just seeing you, um, you know, on the screen, there's no doubt in my mind that you're not just eating French fries and gravy um, uh, and looking as uh, as fine as you are. You have to stay healthy to do that. And so we we want people to have have the choice to pursue their healthy lifestyle. So we have comfort and healthy under one roof. And which i love and i mean so i live in the maryland area you have several around me and your menus uh does hit every every uh group for people who are looking for the diner experience or a healthier version um now but i do know you and your chef uh have done a lot of work over the years to bring in uh healthier foods and your like your dedication to the products that you have which is interesting given how large your business model is so why a farmer's market why was that so important to you at this location well let me set the stage for why we went fresh and local and then i'll tell you why we did a farmer's market about 10 years ago the restaurant industry went through um a very challenging time like it went through in the pandemic uh with 2009 2010 um everything was was uh People were abandoning going out because there was a huge recession. Banks were closing. And we made the decision that instead of doing discounting, which is what the majority of our competitors were doing, is that if people had more limited resources, they wanted something that was good and fresh and local. And if we did something fresh and local, they'd use their limited resource for us. We made that bet and it paid off. 
and at, when we reopened in that venue, we put farmers markets outside of each of our restaurants, small ones, mm -hmm. to communicate. We buy fresh and local. You eat well. I've known Mitch for 30 years. He's been someone who's always been a pioneer for fresh things, gourmet things, food trends. He's kind of a foodie guru. So he's helped mentor uh, myself and Ipa through this process for 30 years. So come to now 2020. Uh, one and we're we're negotiating 2020 when we start the deal with Jair Lynch. Mm -hmm. We saw the vision of the neighborhood that was established in 2016, and it was to create this very special iconic street. Eight million dollars is was set aside for this street to pave it, to create curblessness, and make it a whole a pedestrian friendly uh, entertainment a street and. I remember a picture that I still bring to all the landlords. Um, and today, I remind them of that picture that they that they that it was their original vision, showing what looks like a farmers market on the street, even if it wasn't exactly a farmers market, an engaged, active street. So when I did uh, the deal with Jair Lynch, uh, and he convinced me that he wanted much more than just you know, restaurants that he wanted things that engage the community, I uh, said, l let's make sure that we live to the vision of the uh, original activation. And it was after the lease is signed that I called up, um, or maybe right at the time was being signed, I called up March and said, let's do a farmer's market and let's commit to it now. And uh, Jair Lynch has been very supportive. It's been a process, I guess, I've devoted, and so Jair Lynch has devoted more, 10 hours a week for a year. And the first person I brought in was Mitch Berliner because he was the ultimate in it. So, it was, you know, there were three priorities. Clean, have the streets clean, have the streets active, and have the streets safe. Those are still the mantra that I bring to every um, every meeting, every encounter. Uh, as Mark says, uh, sometimes not um, letting out of anyone's ear, but uh, <laughs> it's Geyer Lynch. And I, I, could, I could be uh, someone who's, um, you know, maybe singing the praises, but I can't make the farmer's market happen. Mm -hmm. The people who make the farmer's market happen are the other people on the call. First, Geyer Lynch which is putting up a substantial amount of money to fund it. Um, the bid, which is partnering and making it happen. Um, the, the Central Farm Market Group, which I knew would do something really creative and special. Uh, farmers markets failed in this neighborhood. So we had to overcome that skepticism uh, of would it fail again. But when uh, Jair Lynch did a survey of the people in their building, 96% said we love it. Okay. And that was and that was confirmed uh, as it's open. So it's been a long journey, but it's it's really what um, Mark said and um, Michael said, activating it like he said in Rome with a central uh, a central gathering place. Mm -hmm. We don't want the 
just to be a condo canyon. We want to be part of the neighborhood. Silver Diner doesn't locate unless we're part of the neighborhood. Uh, you know, we do a significant amount of, of, of fundraisers for, for the community. And we don't just do that with the people on the street. We want the whole community. So we really don't want this street to be, you know, a ballpark commuting street, but to be an active part of the wonderful neighborhood that's been built on the Capitol Hill River waterfront. And this farmer's market is a big, big next step in this process of which there are more steps. Well, on that note, I'd like to bring in Devin Mitch to talk about how you got wrangled in, because I thought you guys were retiring, uh, how you guys uh, decided to open up another market. And let's get the background first on Central Farm Markets, because you have several locations before you just opened up your new one. Right. We have uh, four, well, this is our fourth location, two in Montgomery County, one in Fairfax, and now our newest in D.C., and it's a very determined and well thought out plan to open a farmer's market and not open a farmer's market. And by that, I mean, we just don't throw them up. Um, we are very careful where we go and community is such, plays such an important part. And there have been years where, you know, we get 20 requests a year to open a market and it's just everybody wants one, but they don't always, it's not always the right location. So we are very careful where we will go and where we've opened. But here's the thing, Deb, everybody does want a farmer's market. And, uh, you know, just like Bob just gave these numbers, you know, 96% want a farmer's market. But exit farmer's market is really I mean, you got, I'm, I'm not telling you something you don't know. It's really difficult. So first, how do you assess the neighborhood? How do you decide what the neighborhood's needs are? And then how do you take your expertise in running markets and bring that to the new market? Well, the, the biggest thing is, uh, I, well, first I have to say, um, we didn't assess this place as much as um, the wonderful people who are involved chose us. Right. So we didn't choose this place. They chose us. And we were supposed to retire, meaning not do any more. Right. But it just looks so wonderful. And everybody from Bob and Mark and Michael and everybody else was so behind it that the concierges at the um, apartments and the condos, everybody was so excited. Um, I wouldn't say it was a big marketing thing. It was just, we talked to people and the feedback we got was so wonderful and the help was so terrific that we just said yes. And so that's what we did. And then of course, we've learned over the, our 15 years that the farmer's market really um, should be a place of community as opposed to, oh, great tomatoes, go, come, leave. Uh, a place where well, there's a difference between a farm stand, right? Like we see the right. farm stand on the road and you get your tomatoes and your corn or whatever. Again, my Jersey girl is coming through. Uh, but um, and then there's a farmer's market and the way you guys executed it. It's, it's so I mean, it's so much more than than just the fresh produce because you have a variety of vendors there. You always have entertainment. There's always a community uh, component as well, whether it's a charity or something of that nature. So how is it happening at Half Street Market? 
So there is a there when we started these markets, there was a basic premise to, to having a farmer's market. And it's the same as any other kind of event location. It could be at a museum, it could be someplace else. We want the people to come. We want them to stay and we want them to come back. And those are three very uh, unique things because you can go and shop and maybe never come back. But when you make it a place of community, when you make it a place that they want to come and hang out, and we've been referred to as the Village Green, people come and especially after COVID, it was one of the only places they could get to see their neighbors and say hi to people in a, a moderately safe environment. Wave, so, wave, wave. Yeah, and wave and just, hey, you know, we're out of the house. But it becomes such a, a, an important and people bring their children and their dogs. And then we have people that bring their, their parents when they come into town and visitors. So it becomes their place. And they stop referring to it in many cases as the name of the market. They don't call it in Bethesda, Bethesda Central. They say, I'm going to the market. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to hear that after two, you know, two days open at Half Street. Oh, the market, the market. So that's when you know you've really won the hearts of the community. I, I'll just quote a patron. Please. Um, that uh, it actually we quoted on our website. She said, this is my happy place. If I'm in town, I'm coming here, rain or shine. If the farmers are there, I'm going to be there. And whatever happened the week past, I forget about it when I'm at the market. And that, that was very touching and meaningful to us that she wrote that about our markets. I bet. Well, so rain or shine, we got. But now right. let's talk about, you said the farmers, but let's talk about all the vendors. How many vendors are at this market? And how did you go about curating? What was the process? So there are about 35 vendors. Uh, and this street does have its limitations. So to be able to bring in that many vendors, we we rotate some vendors in. There are things um, that you don't need every week or you wouldn't shop for every week. And there are vendors that can't be there every week and they rotate with another market. So we have our big, uh, we have our big producers, the fruit, the vegetable, meat, cheese, all of the things that you really want to anchor down that market. And then we bring in the specialty. It could be prepared foods. It could be soap. It could be candles. Um, you name it. We've Oh, we have a dog uh, vendor, you know, dog treats, uh, all natural dog treats. So we try to look for what the people want, what they're buying, mm-hmm. and then merchandise, if you will, the market in that manner so that we have a good variety and we have things. And then we bring in, as Mitch said, the community we will have nonprofits come in. We have music. We have music booked almost every week during the season. And it can be a community band. It can be a high school band. It can be a professional band. So, you know, we, we try to mix it up so everybody can participate and have a good time. And, well, so one of my questions is, is with your other markets and the work you've done with the other markets, like you have beer and spirits and wine at your other markets. Are you able to do that in D.C.? We, the answer to that I, is yes. Did I ask that question? <laughs> no, we can do it. It requires a special license. 
And um, it's a, a, a license that we will apply for at some point. Uh, we just kind of ran short of time this year, uh, but it will be an addition, hopefully in the future. And what about dogs? Because you're the only farmer's market in the area that allows dogs, I know in Virginia, Maryland. What's the deal with DC? Can you do it in DC? We do. We have bring your dog, bring your baby, bring your, you know, bring all your dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just help people, you know, keep them on a short leash. And in 15 right. years, um, it's been uh, nothing but a very positive experience. And it's, it's, it's a way actually, um, not being a dog owner, but I've learned it's a, a, it's a breaker of a social uh, connections that people start what kind of dog is that? And all of a sudden you get connected with somebody. Where do you live? Where do you, you know, and it's very interesting. And then the kids love the dogs. Can can my kid pet your dog? And and again, it's just a, a very interesting statistic that I read once was the a number of personal interactions at a supermarket is one. And it's usually paper, paper or plastic, or did you find everything you need? In a farmer's market, the average number of personal interactions, it could be you with the farmer, the baker, the candlestick maker, or your neighbors is a hundred. And then we had an, it's different than our farmer's market in Bethesda, which is on a school parking lot. We have the retailers on Half Street and the restaurants. And so we are working and, and some of them are part of the market. And so that brings a, a sense of community. When the community sees that everybody's working together, they like it. It's not nobody's um, stepping on each other's toes. They just really love the fact that we're working together and it's integrated and it looks like a whole community. Well, actually, I think that is so important because nothing would be worse if you were activated in that space and let's say some retailer on the corner did not feel a part of it and then there's this like animosity that's so unnecessary do you know what i mean right. well, um, the, rea the reality is that uh, every place that uh, the farmers markets open that there's retailers nearby it brings more people in so course. everybody benefits it should I mean, be a win-win Yes. yes. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, how? So, what's the market schedule? I know it's on Saturdays. I know it's rain or shine. How long are we open for? We are going to be open through the week before Christmas. Okay. We will, and we close Thanksgiving weekend just because by that time of the year, our vendors and our staff really need a little bit of a break, and they love spending. Thanksgiving weekend with their family. So that's become a tradition, but we will be open uh, through Christmas and, uh, or th the week before Christmas. So okay. we, we follow the seasons and you'll see the seasons, you'll see Halloween and, you know, fall fest and all sorts of great things at the market and a lot of fun. Great. And we've invited all the, or many of the chefs on the, with, with the help of the Silver Diner. Mm -hmm. um, we've invited the chefs. We have a special tent, uh, chef demo. And um, so we want chefs to come out and do seasonal stuff. And I think it's important that we talk about we have a relationship now with DC Central Kitchen. Um, so when they have the people that they teach uh, skills come to the market, do a demo, or even work with some of the vendors there. Great. So, and, and glean at the end of the market. So we're putting a program like that together as well. Oh, can we just hit on that quickly? Because you know that is a cause very close to my heart about the gleaning. What does that mean for the community? How are you guys activating it within the market? 
Well, we're talking right now to the people at the DC Central Kitchen, mm-hmm. trying to get some funds. And we've been doing this for 15, almost 15 years in Bethesda, where at the end of the market, any farmer that wants to sell any of the produce that's, uh, um, and then that produce is used in, in, in Montgomery County, in the case of Manor Food Center, and here it will be DC Central Kitchen. So they'll use that to prepare meals for their clients. Yes, right. so nothing goes to waste. Excellent. I mean, I love hearing that. We're, we're also trying to hook up. There has been some interest from some of the restaurants in the area to um, buy directly from some of the farmers. Mm. So we're very excited about that. Uh, Silver Dine has always been in the forefront of that. And so there's some lettuce specialists that they're speaking to. So um, that's a win-win for everybody. I love that. Bob, What? Um, there's so many chefs in that area and you've been a part of the restaurant industry for so long. How are you working with the other uh, restaurants there to get them engaged in the market? Yeah, our theme has been the whole time we're stronger together. Like we all learned that during the pandemic and um, we, we our first job is to try to bring the landlords together because there are four different landlords on that street and the next stage was to bring the merchants together they're 26 and i met with most of them one-on-one over the last uh several months Mm -hmm. and once they understood the vision they came on board um many of the uh merchants on the street right now with the exception of gadsby's uh don't have chefs that are open so now we have broadened that outreach. And my partner, Aoife, is going to all the chefs in the Capitol River waterfront supplied by Michael and talking about the same thing, stronger together. Uh, You know, in some ways, our individual corridor is competitive with the riverfront, uh, but we're all stronger together. And so we're trying to bring everyone together. And there's been a really good response. And so I think um, over time, there's going to be a lot of chefs all going to be there, which makes everything interact. It makes this all a town center, a town square, you know, much like Michael described in ancient Rome. And, you know, that's how communities happen. Really, we, we won't. It doesn't work for a silver diner. It's not satisfying, nor is it a, a success if we're just sitting in a condo canyon. We right. want to be part of the neighborhood. It's much more rewarding. It's a lot more work. Um, but yeah, I'll, <laughs> no, you I'll, I'll did, it's the long haul, but it's the smarter haul. I think so. And luckily, Jair Lynch uh, thinks so. Not every landlord, you know, uh, has that vision. Um, they've been the leaders uh, in terms of taking that forthright vision. And mm-hmm. they put their money where their mouth is, their energy. Mark Cannon was on this call. I talked about 10 hours a week. He's put in double that in the last six months, um, you know, just making this happen. Um, But it's very rewarding because you see the customers on the street and it's like meeting the customers in our restaurant. You know, you're you're creating something nutritious and wonderful. People want authenticity. They want to get back, you know, back to the future, back to the past. And this allows in a very high tech condo area to have the low tech form feel. And it's been, it's been a journey and a rewarding one. And we're just beginning because there's a, a lot more that can still happen. 
Well, on that note, Michael, um, you know, to me, going to a farmer's market and seeing the chefs walking around, it's always watching other people's reaction is always exciting because, I mean, I know them, but, you know, people are always excited when somebody shows up in a chef's coat. So are you engaging with the community in that way? Because it, it, it does elevate it a little bit. It does. It, uh, when the chefs are there, but also the vendors and, and, and the farmers, it's street entertainment. Right. And I, I really think people like to come out and be entertained while they shop and engage with their neighbors, as, as Mitch and Deborah have facilitated and Mark has described and Bob has described. And I think, you know, I, I want to thank Mark for all his hard work. I mean, he has invested countless hours like Bob has, but Mark's really pulled together a lot of the logistics, but so have Deborah and Mitch. They have so worked so hard, the three of them, to make this happen. And I applaud them because it's been a wild success so far. Yeah, I, I also want to applaud the developers along the street and in my, my bid. I think when you when you invest in the community, the community will invest in you or reinvest in you by coming out, taking advantage of these things. And I think building these public-based amenities rather than strictly building-based amenities, mm -hmm. you really are giving back to the community in so many ways. And I think that really builds a neighborhood. These parks, schools, events and activations and markets are foundational to creating good neighborhoods where you do go out and talk to your neighbors and whether it's about your dog or your kids or the movie you saw last night or the great vegetables you're buying right then that's what it's about is that social interaction that's the glue that really holds us all together as citizens in these neighborhoods and reinforces the fact that we all live together well i think um as i said in the beginning of the show it takes a village to make things mm -hmm. happen and you've all have proven my point. You made me right once again. Uh, you have proved my point uh, very well. Um, it's so exciting that this market is up and running, and I cannot wait to see what else happens, uh, thanks to all of you at the uh, Capitol Riverfront. So I want to thank you all for joining me today. Well, that was another great show, and I feel so fortunate that I get to work with people who are doing such amazing things around uh, the city that I love so much. And, you know, I mean, I wasn't joking. It really does take a village to make a community function, and not everybody can just open up a farmer's market and make it a part of the community and have people go to it and be a part of it. And I just think what what Deb and Mark and Michael and Bob are all doing together to make this happen and make it successful is just incredible. So I want to thank you all for joining me today. And I want to thank my guests, Michael Stevens of the Capitol Riverfront Bid, Mark Hannon of Jair Lynch Real Estate, uh, Bob GMO of Silver Diner, and of course, uh, Deb Moser and Mitch Berliner of Central Farm Markets. If you have not checked out Half Street Market, now you can and you have till Christmas, but make it a part of your regular rotation. Because one of the things I can say about Deb and Mitch is that they really do bring in and fabulous vendors who have amazing products. Uh, I go both to their Pike and Rose and Bethesda markets regularly. So I'm not just telling you, I actually am a patron. Uh, so don't forget to check out the list or you want it.com for not just farmer market info, but everything happening in the DC metro area. Follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And listen, everyone. It does feel like COVID is kind of going away. I don't want to say it out loud. I don't want to jinx it. But 
you do not need to wear a mask and you do not need to show your vaccination card. But if you're asked, put the mask on and show your vaccination card. It's just not that big of a deal. And remember that there are still major staffing shortages out there. So when you go into a restaurant, please remember to take your kindness pill and be kind to those who are trying to take care of you. Uh, thank you again for joining me and have a safe and delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis, Real Fun DC.